You are now listening to The Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions, a trivia game show meant to teach us more about Black history. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot, and currently a Moynihan Public Scholars Fellow at the City College in New York. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how it works. We've got five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to answer. If they answer correctly, they'll receive one symbolic Black fist and hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the five questions, there'll be a Black bonus round just for fun. And I like to call it Black Lightning. Usually, we have one or two guests join, but as we wrap up 2023, we wanted to revisit some of our most memorable guests. So, each round, you'll hear from a different guest. Five rounds, five unique personalities. We still have the Black Lightning round, which will feature two more guests. So let's get to it. Our guests for this episode are actors and comedians Anthony Anderson and Cedric the Entertainer. This duo are close friends, and they're here to test their Black history knowledge and talk about their new show on A&E, Kings of Barbecue. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining the special edition of The Blackest Questions. Doc, how are you? Good good seeing you. Hello, Dr. Graham. I am so excited. Are you all ready to play The Blackest Questions? Oh, I mean, I think I was born to play The Blackest Questions. Ah, ah, ah. So, Cedric, Anthony Anderson is up one. Are you ready for question number two? I am two? ready. This person was the first black comedian to host a weekly variety show. In 1972, he was on the cover of Time, and the magazine called him TV's first black superstar. Who was this comedian? I'm going to go with Dick Gregory. Ooh, I'm sorry, Cedric. Flip Wilson! It's Flip Wilson! Flip Wilson! Oh, man. It's Flip Wilson. So long before Martin was Shanae or Tyler Perry was Medea... Flip Wilson gave us the character Geraldine Jones yes. on the Flip Wilson show. I'm tripping. I'm sorry. I I started thinking it had to be from St. Louis. I was just thinking about people from St. Louis. That just, wait, I'm like, really? Well, Flip interviewed everyone from Aretha Franklin to Muhammad Ali. Comedian Red Fox was a show regular. Yes. Comedian George Carlin got his start on the show as a writer. The variety, the variety show ran for four yes. years and at one time was the second highest rated show on network television. Flip went on to win two Emmys, a Golden Globe Award, and a Grammy for his comedic Definitely work. Definitely my okay. so, I blew it. So, okay, gentlemen, tell me really quickly, how did this new show on A&E, Kings and Barbecue, come about? How long have you all been friends? Were you eating some barbecue? And it's like, you know what? We know a lot about this. Let's hit the road and make a show. How did this, how did this come to be? Well, you know, uh, Anthony and I have been friends up 20, 25-plus years. Uh, we've, uh, we're, we're good golf buddies. We travel together. Uh, with our friends, and we would often cook whenever we were in this group of friends, and so uh, that kind of started our love of like kind of doing move, uh, doing food, and being foodies. Uh, so we came up with this idea mainly uh, for the love and celebration of what grilling does in our community, how it brings a, this kind of a social uh, aspect of us, and how we communicate and, and celebrate with each other. And and didn't we didn't see a national face for. Uh, the world of barbecue and thought this was a great opportunity uh, that led to a relationship with Walmart, which led to us an opportunity of us doing the show, showing how we did it. And so uh, this is what the, the, the show is all about. 
is to is to kind of give young entrepreneurs the opportunity and the idea to follow uh, what what we did as uh, taking a celebrity brand and trying to build it to something that uh, that you mainly see in alcohol space. You know, you mainly see this kind of idea in the alcohol space, but not in food space. So uh, that's why we did it, and that's what the show is all about. Well, I also love that you all are showcasing black male friendship, which I think, you know, we talk a lot about on this podcast as well, and this idea of community um, in all different facets. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited about building this brand and this business with my friend, Cedric. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you don't ne- normally get to do that with someone that you're friends with, someone that you admire, and someone that you respect. Uh, and, and we have a mutual admiration uh, for one another, a mutual love of cooking, the mutual love of feeding people and, and getting off on, 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 on doing that. Uh, so uh, for us to partner and, and to start this, this barbecue lifestyle brand uh, and embrace the entire community, not just our brand and what we're doing, but to embrace the community uh, uh, and lifestyle of barbecue as a whole is what excites it, uh, is, is what's exciting about it uh, for me. And to get to share this with my boy and, and travel the world doing this and showing young entrepreneurs how to do it, how to do it alone, how to do it with friends, how to do it with family is, is the best thing to do. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. Can I have another hit? The dark man stand up. I don't give a A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, we are back. We're playing the Blackest Questions with Representative Ayanna Presley. Uh, you are inspiring me to want to pack up and move back to Massachusetts. After speaking out against the Vietnam War, this civil rights activist was monitored by the FBI for several years. When she died in 2006, four U.S. presidents attended her funeral. Who was she? Coretta Scott King. You are correct. Coretta yeah. Scott King, the wife of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and the pair who met in Boston, actually, and had four children together. Though her husband was the face of the civil rights movement, Coretta Scott King was very much part of the cause. In fact, just days after MLK's funeral, she was out marching in a labor strike. Coretta Scott King was also the driving force behind the federal holiday that honors her husband's birthday, an honor only given to two other Americans, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And so did you know that Coretta Scott King and Martin Luther King met and fell in love in Boston when she was attending the New England Conservatory of Music? Of course, I know their whole love story, but I but I've been a long been an admirer of Coretta Scott King and been very intentional about quoting her and lifting her up because uh, as is so often the case, black women are rendered as a footnote or uh, completely erased. And she was her own woman and she was already uh, a civil rights 
fighter, a mm -hmm. progressive. She was the one who convinced Dr. King to take that position against the Vietnam War. She also championed a federal job guarantee. Uh, and as you just uh, alluded to, there was a, um, a huge uh, champion um, and an ally in the fight for workers' rights. Um, so she was something extraordinary. And even as a student at the New England Conservatory, uh, the songs that she sang were the songs that fuel the movement, you know, freedom mm -hmm. songs. So it's no wonder that uh, she caught the attention of Dr. King, although she admitted that she was not immediately impressed by him. She had heard all this talk of him, and then he was much shorter in stature than she had anticipated um, and had a, 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 a different demeanor. But, uh, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, clearly they were um, enamored with one another. And, and the rest is history. And I think uh, Martin and Coretta proved the power of black love and of black radical love to birth movements. So before there was uh, Montgomery, before there was uh, Chicago, before there was Atlanta, uh, there was Boston. Our guest for this episode is Grammy-nominated singer and songwriter Ken. His hits, I Can't Stop Loving You and Love Calls, made him an R&B sensation. Kem, I'm super excited to have you here. Are you ready to play the Blackest Question? I will find out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find out. This particular type of food originated in Nashville, Tennessee, where you're from, and has become wildly popular the last few years. Its origin is linked to a black restaurant called Prince's. Can you name the dish I'm describing? And I've never had it. I've never, I have not had it. I have not had it. And, uh, well, let me make sure I got the right. <laughs> okay. Make sure that I can answer the question. It's hot chicken. That's right. You yeah. are correct. Thornton Prince is credited with selling the first batch of hot chicken in Nashville in the 1930s that quickly became his restaurant's most popular dish. He actually created the recipe by accident when someone tried to sabotage his food by putting too much pepper in it as an act of revenge, apparently because Thornton was fighting with someone else over a woman. But Thornton took notice with that, and with some tweaking, the flavor was actually pretty good, and hence we have hot chicken. And so as you mentioned before, you were born in Nashville, yeah. You, you primarily were raised in Detroit. I always say Detroit, but I'm just going to say Detroit for today. I know you've traveled the world. You've traveled the country. Of all the places you visited, what city has the best food? Because we've had lots of chefs on the show. What city and I has love the food, best Kim. food? I will eat you out of house and yeah, home. Yeah, me too. Look, so I got to look. When... I got, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I like. I'm still rocking my COVID-15. I don't care. I like to, I like <laughs> to eat. I like to eat. Um. So there are, you know, and I'm the guy who has, you know, I watch the Food Network or I'm watching uh, Guy Fieri's uh, uh, Diners. Di diners right? Driving. Look, yeah, Diners Driving. I got, a, yes. I got a list in my phone, <laughs> cities and dishes that I want to try when I get there. That's how mm. serious I am about, about eating. But to be diplomatically, politically, um, and maternally correct, I have to say, Okay. That the best food is in Detroit because that's where my mother is. <laughs> okay. okay, that's right. Listen, I'm not trying to get you banned from any concert halls or the Thanksgiving table. So in addition to Detroit and obviously mom's cooking, yeah. 
you know, when you travel either domestically or internationally, what city were you like, okay, this is this is dangerous because I might not be able to fit in this outfit if I stay in this city too long? I went to, uh, I think the, the most, I've had, right, and it's hard because I've had memorable meals like all over the country. I think the most inter- internationally, the best, the meal that I was taken aback by the most was in, was in Italy, was in, was in Rome, right? Cause we would, we drove up into the, we drove up into these mountains and, uh-huh. and, you know, and you walk into the restaurant and the, the, you know, they have fish on ice as you're walking into the restaurant so that you can pick the fish out that you're going to have That's you know, right. that night. That's right. And I had the best pasta, the best spaghetti that I've ever had in my life. Right. And the, and the vibe is nobody's rushing. And it lasts all the meal lasts all you know it lasts for hours, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was probably one of the most memorable experiences I've had dining internationally. Yeah, and you can really savor it, you yeah. know, um, and you can savor the experience. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break. I'm with Kim. We're talking about food. Now I want to go back to Italy and have a little pasta and some pizza, <laughs> and then scoot on over to France and have a little steak free. But we'll be right back after this commercial break. Our guest for this episode has been one of the most constant voices in music journalism for the past 30 years. Terrell was part of MTV News. He's written for Rolling Stone, The New York Times, Vibe, Ebony. The list goes on and on. And he's interviewed everyone from Tupac and Jay-Z to Lady Gaga. Thanks so much for coming out. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How are you? Terrell, thank you so much for this special edition of The Blackest Questions. Mm, I'm so happy to see you. Are you ready to play The Blackest Questions? Yes, I am. I was born ready. Well, let's see how you do in number four. Because as we know, as our listeners know, the the questions get progressively more difficult. I like that we're getting more progressive as we go (laughs) on. I like that. That's true. Listen, you've been in the game for a minute. I want to know your thoughts and opinions on these things. Okay. This hip-hop group was based in Los Angeles and released only one album in 1988. The group consisted of three brothers, one who went on to join Cypress Hill. What is the name of this group? Okay, are we allowed to curse? <laughs> we try not to, just to get out. I really did you don't not like, me, like I did not like LA rap at that time. <laughs> and I think that there were definitely New Yorkers who were like, we don't, we. So we're not paying attention, especially right. if you're not getting big like Cypress. We're really not paying attention because we're New York. We look down on the West Coast. I got it. Hey, listen, the podcast only been so long, boo. I got to go. You ready? No. Here's the answer. 7A3. I don't so, even know if that's a fair question. DJ Muggs is free Cypress Hill days. Oh, my God. That's not even a fair question. Sean Bolden and Brett Bolden made up the hip-hop trio that released just one album entitled Coolin' in Cali. They were dubbed a West Coast group, yet the brothers were from New York City. The album included tracks you may know like Drums of Steel and Hit Em Again. Nobody knows these tracks, Chrissy. Did the album go wood? Oh my God. Who would even know this? It's a good lead into your podcast questions on New York and LA and various influences. So... What other hip-hop groups are out there that might not be considered some of the greats, but you think still have catalogs that are worth a listen and we should tell our audience about them? Well, I mean, you know, Jay Electronica is probably the name that comes to mind right away, who I think is vastly underrated in terms of a lot of hip-hop heads know him and love him, um, but say, oh, he hasn't produced enough music to 
And I think people who are not like digging in the crates type hip hop heads may not have uh, dug into him. This is one of the extraordinary MCs of the modern era, a guy who talks about religion and spirituality, who's extremely deep in the way he approaches uh, music. And I, I love his music. I loved his albums. He And I, before his uh, album, which we were all waiting for, for like seven or 10 years or something, um, I had more of his music in my iTunes than a lot of rappers who had albums out. So I was like, mm. he's produced a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, who else? Chrissy, I mean, well, you let's, know. But Go ahead. Let's shift gears for a second because I want to talk about the West Coast sound of the 90s for a moment. So we know that Death Row Records was founded in 1991 in Los Angeles and they released several iconic hip-hop albums. I remember blasting the tapes in my 1981 diesel car in high school. Um, and they were part of a lot of significant pop culture moments. You know, we remember the Source Awards with Suge Knight, for example, obviously the beef between Biggie and Tupac. Did you ever interview Suge Knight or anybody from the death row camp and spend a little time in Los Angeles? Oh, look who does not pay attention to my work. Did Wait, I ever hey, interview sir. Suge Knight? Are you kidding? I know this. Next, he's going to ask if I ever interviewed R. Kelly. I'm, yes, I interviewed yes, Suge Knight. For the audience. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't know. You didn't know. Because this is a very traumatic your work story. For a long time, sir. I'm going to have to go longer. talk to have an emergency call with my therapist just to bring this story up out of the vault. It's so painful, but I'll we, do it I for you. I know this. I need to make sure our audience knows. Do yeah, it for tell you, us about Chrissy. your iconic interview. So I was doing a story for the New Yorker on a record executive from the 70s named Dick Griffey, who in some ways was like Suge before Suge. He was a he was huge. He was a real gangster, and he was determined to make money in the music business. He had mentored Suge. So when I'm hanging out with Dick for, you know, many days, I kept saying, like, let's go see Suge, because he was suing Suge. Uh, oh, because he said that he owned 5% of Death Row from having given him seed money from the at the beginning. So he's like, no, no, no. And then finally he sets it up. We go over to see Suge. It's like midnight or something. I say, I want to talk to Suge, and I'm trying to do the story quick. Uh, I would say I, I want to talk to Suge alone. I'm interviewing him. Been uh, Dick leaves. I don't know where he is. I'm in Suge's office at death row at midnight. It's as ominous as you could imagine. And he's and I'm interviewing him, asking basic questions about Dick Griffey. And then finally, I'm like, so what's up with the lawsuit? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I pressed the question because that's what you're supposed to do. Although if you are sitting in the enemy's lair, you perhaps should not do that. Um, he, uh, long story short, he kind of grabbed me around the shoulders and kind of pulled me around the room a little bit. He kind of felt like a rag doll. There was a period of time where I was trapped in the room and there was a clearly a young gangbanger who looked like five minutes out of county or five minutes off the street who was just standing there who he's like Suge was like talking to him and I'm like this guy's gonna rush me and I don't know what I'm gonna do right and I if I break only one bone tonight then I'm ahead of the game um and then finally uh we kind of wrap that up partly with Suge showing me this incredible 
he remembered our 45 minute interview in detail, like everything that I asked and everything that he said, he repeated our 45 minute conversation because we were like going to redo the interview, but now I'm too scared to talk. And he just redid the interview all by himself. And then he's like, all right, you got your interview. Get out of here. And I like ran out. It was horrible. I'm very traumatized now, Chrissy. I'm very <laughs> traumatized. Can somebody bring me and some tea? And that's what we like I'm to do out. here on The Blackest Questions. Right? No, I kid, I kid. Bring people uh, out. Uh, but really quickly, before we go into question number five, do you think that some of the violence that we're experiencing in hip-hop and in the lyrics and the music and the rhetoric is just a part of hip-hop culture that's here to stay? Or do you think that there could be a cultural shift because there's so much other stuff going on that we might see sort of a return back to I mean, uh, partly, conscious rappers? You partly um, fall back on, like, Yassine Bey talking about hip-hop is, um, you know, an avatar for the community. It is a representative of the community. It's not like things are happening that are not tied to what's going on in the community. There is uh, death and mm-hmm. an overprevalence of guns. Uh, and drugs. And drugs. In and our drug usage. Com- yeah, in our community. And so you see that in hip-hop. Now, a lot, we are seeing gun deaths in hip-hop, but we're also seeing natural deaths in hip-hop. Uh, you know, so, I mean, some folks perhaps are not able to take care of themselves or maybe uh, unwilling to see the doctor or have hereditary health problems, all these sort of medical racism issues that we have heard about that, that you know, don't escape just because you escape to another class. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, but I don't think that it is divorced from uh, what's going on in the community. And like, these are issues that we are dealing with in the community at large. I don't think that there's a specific problem that is endemic to hip hop that like we, you know, that, like that's, I don't subscribe to that notion. All right. Well, good to know. I can't wait to hear more about uh, your thoughts on this on your new show, Being Black, the 80s. We're playing the Blackest Questions. I'm with the Harry Lennox. Um, we're on to question number five. Harry, are you ready? I, I'm confident. I'm feeling good. I mean, you're killing the game. <laughs> I would say you can, you can roll in. You know, this singer and musician from Georgia is credited with helping invent soul and R&B music. He's often referred to as the genius. Who was he? I'm gonna I'm gonna say Isaac Hayes. No, no. <laughs> it's Ray Charles. Oh, Ray Charles Robinson Sr. was a singer, right. songwriter, pianist, that? and alto saxophonist who lost his eyesight during childhood. His style of music combined jazz, R and B, gospel, and country. He won 17 Grammy Awards and was nominated 37 times, and is the only one of a handful of artists to be in both country and rock and roll Hall of Fame. So, you appeared in the Oscar award-winning film Ray as Joe Adams, brand manager and promoter of Ray for more than 40 years. So, what's something about Ray Charles that surprised you in making this film? So, it's, you know, we know that you do meticulous research uh, as you approach uh, your work. Well, uh, I I forgot about the genius part. I'm so ashamed. Anyway, uh... (laughs) It's all up here in the blackest questions. Trust all me, up, when people have good. turned the tables on me, I'm I'm pretty much 0 for 10. 
That's funny. And I'm the host. No, that's very good though. The genius. Um, well, I think the the very interesting thing was I I met Ray Charles a couple times before, you know, uh, before the movie. I met him uh, while a five heartbeat. We had the occasion to to uh, you know we ran into Ray Charles. God knows, and I'd been in this company a couple times before. But that said, um, I met Joe Adams, the character that I was going to that I played in it and I met him in, in person and we had a long talk and he had a long talk and I think that uh, that was pretty cool because <laughs> that's a rare thing when you're studying uh, mm-hmm. someone is that the person mm-hmm. is actually alive still and so that uh, it's it's almost you know a kind of, it's almost a handicap too because the person's alive and you don't want to sort of portray the whole right. truth <laughs> if you know if you happen to know it and because everybody's whole truth is not as uh, attractive as it might be mm-hmm. leave us alone we need to talk ray you can step outside joe i'll be in my office but that said uh i didn't have any such reservations about playing joe adams he was more, more or less as he was presented in the film, you know, li- you know, like him or hate him. I know uh, <laughs> some people think he's a very antagonistic guy and he's the villain or so, of some, in some sense, but some people are charmed by him. And I, and I found he was very much like that in real life. There are people that was based on interviews with people mm-hmm. and to a large extent on interviews with himself, uh, with Joe Adams himself. So he was uh, an interesting, fascinating, accomplished man. And uh, and um, it was great to be able not just to uh, to meet him in real life, but also to see some of the performances. He was an actor. He was a mm-hmm. first coast to coast black DJ, you know. So so these were uh, uh, he was a Tuskegee Airman, you know. Wow. He, yeah, he contributed uh, a great deal to his church. I know he gave them their piano, uh, for example. He was a very interesting man. Uh, so well, maybe not what the I nicest think... guy, but you know, right. <laughs> But I think so many people appreciate about your work is that you actually can show and you do show the levels of people. It's, you know, they're always multidimensional characters. So even their flaws um, and their complications are extrapolated in these very uh, precise ways where I feel like we leave your characters sometimes conflicted, right? Especially when you're playing a little more of a sinister character. It's like, well, I mean... I felt it, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. I, I, I can see where he's coming from. Um, right. Uh, right. Yes. <laughs> I, I really just, Thank you. I, I'm, I'm so appreciative of the, the attention to detail. Our guests for this episode are husband and wife, Egypt Sherrod and Mike Jackson. Together for 18 years, the parents of three girls have become fan favorites on HGTV with their hit show, Married to Real Estate. Before I get you all out of here, The Black Lightning Round is for each of you. And this is just, there's no right or wrong answer. I just want the the first thing that pops in your mind, you just let us know, okay? So some questions are for both of you and some questions are just for each of you. So for both of you, if you had to choose, are you building a home from scratch or are you renovating something older? Egypt? Renovating something older. Mike? Building something from scratch. (laughs) This question is for both of you. Who has better food, New York or Atlanta? Ooh, I'm gonna lose my New York card on this, but I gotta say Atlanta. 
Okay. Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. The you black can, is hot with this one. He can never go back to Hempstead, Long Island. <laughs> He's not welcome there after saying that. When the kids want something, who are they coming to first, mom or dad? They come to mom. When mom says no, they go to dad. Dad says yes. Mom gets upset at dad. Dad says I'm sorry, but the kids still get their way. Okay, Egypt, you can only watch one reality show for the next five years. What are you picking? Oh my gosh. It's got to be Ready to Love on OWN. I love that show so much. Okay. And Mike, I know you love Caribbean food. What's your go-to order? Ooh, my go-to order. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, curry chicken with uh, mixed vegetables, um, rice and peas, and plantains. Okay. Listen, the next time you all come to New York, you got to swing by my house. I'll make you all some oxtails. Oh. Ooh. My well, dad gets fresh oxtails from the Amish in Delaware. So. You know we just lost our New York card on your show, though. Well, <laughs> you can sneak in town. I won't tell anybody. And we're back. I'm with the multi-hyphenate Michelle Buteau talking about all the things. What reality TV show could you not live without? 90 Day Fiance. What's an item of clothing or style you hate to wear? Uh, Brazilian uh, bootcut jeans. How dare you? How dare you? I was going to say a bra, but that's a whole nother thing. Okay. High heels or flat? Ooh, I'd say a kitten in between. Come on, don't give Ooh. up. Okay, get me out. One food item you can't get enough of. Oh, my God. I don't know. That's so crazy. Okay. I, Think I, about I, it. I, yeah. I love All a right. green juice. I don't know. Okay. Champagne. Ooh. Is that a fruit I just, got a, I just got a juicer, and it totally is because it's grapes, so therefore it's fruit. Okay, <laughs> last question. You can have dinner with anyone, dead or alive. Who are you sitting down with? <sighs> my grandma, Mavis. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I want to thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can find more at the Grio Black Podcast Network on the Grio app, website, and YouTube. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Griot Black Podcast Network.